I wanted to tell you a little story about my time uh, just this past March. Um, I was had the opportunity to sit for a one-month self-retreat at the New Forest Refuge in uh, Massachusetts and America. Uh, the center that had just opened, brand new intensive retreat practice center, that opened up behind the Insight Meditation Society, one of our sister centers here. And this was um, a dream, a vision of Joseph Goldstein for a long time, who wanted a place for people to do long-term practice in the United States. And uh, in fact, Dye House in some ways, as I mentioned once before, is really one of the few places people can do intensive practice. And so Joseph finally um, opened his, his center in March, actually. The number of uh, us teachers were invited for an inaugural retreat. Catherine was there as well, Yanai and some others. And we were able to open the retreat center and, and have this really wonderful place and opportunity to sit. And here was a retreat center that um, is a multi-million dollar retreat center. Even though we're practicing renunciation and asceticism, um, it's still, you know, we wanted this center to be there for a long time, so it had to be built very, very well and, you know, lots of things in place. And so it was really built just, you know, with, with so much thoughtfulness and care to really support people who can do for very deep, silent, contemplative practice. And it holds about a uh, place for about 30 people. So uh, it's not a very large, it actually is a very large building, but it's, it's, it's made for a small group of people to have a place to practice. And it's very, very beautiful in the middle of uh, central Massachusetts. And this was winter, there was about two feet of snow on the ground. So I was very excited, you know, about having this opportunity and this new center and, and for a self-retreat as well, which means it's self-guided. There's no schedule, there's no Dharma talks, which I was delighted about. <laughs> and um, you just really have the time to practice in the way that, really the way that I wanted to practice. And I wanted to do some uh, samadhi practice, some good concentration practice. Uh, which is uh, which is possible, particularly when uh, I can do my own schedule. I could sit for long periods of time and do what I just what I want to do that that I think is going to help and deepen that uh, concentration and that samadhi. And we're all given single rooms, and in my room particularly, um, it so happened that it started to become a little bit noisy. And here you have to understand, I mean, they really spent lots of money <laughs> to try to get the center to be quiet. But for some reason, there were still some things to work out with the pipes, with the water pipes and the heating pipes and the fans and all the, you know, the very latest sophisticated technology and all these, you know, systems of heat and water and all that, that actually the maintenance person actually couldn't understand. So, you know, when it came to the point of needing to fix it, he couldn't even figure out how to fix it because it was so sophisticated. But it was, it started with 
sort of this air vent underneath my door. There's a space under my door. So the, I just hear this whooshing sound all the time. And, and for those of you who may not uh, know, for doing self-retreat, it's very nice to just sit in your room a lot, not even to have to go to the meditation hall, of which there was one, a very beautiful small meditation hall, but it's very nice just to have the option and also to meditate in your own room, which I wanted to do, you know, had my ideas, right? So the air swishing underneath the, the door from the outside air vent, and then somehow a pipe or a couple pipes running right by my wall that from the very first night I was there somehow just gave a very strong knocking sound. Like somebody would took a hammer and was just knocking on the wall. And you know, I never knew when that sound was actually going to come up. It wasn't that consistent, but it was um, every now and then, day and night, just somebody hammering on the wall. Knock, 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 knock. And, and doing concentration practice that can be very startling, you know, when one's getting quite quiet and, and, and still, and then bam! And I would just notice my whole body would just, just be jarred and I'd just be jolted. And it was very disconcerting. It wasn't what I expected to have happen here at this very expensive center that was built just for silent meditation practice. And then with the whooshing sound and the banging against the wall, then after about a week, as I was starting to get somewhat used to it, came the real intense problem, which when the water through the water pipes that were seemed to be right next to my room, and of course I wasn't talking to anybody else, so you know, it was only happening in my room. It wasn't happening to anybody else. It's like this whooshing, really loud whooshing sound through the pipes. And any, any given time, and at some point, I actually had the experience that it was as loud as being as an air, at an airport. It was so loud, like airplanes were landing, you know, just like whooshing, whooshing. And it would, it would start off really soft, and then it would get really strong and so loud. And then I noticed that it wasn't just past my room, but it would also be going down the corridors and down the corridor that you walk to the dining room, and then in the walking spaces as well. There's this really loud whooshing sound. And then it would die down. So at some point I started thinking, it's like a sleeping dragon. Never knew when it was going to come up and when it was going to go down. And it was very interesting to watch my mind around these conditions because I had certain pretty, you know, pretty strong assumption, I suppose, that the center was going to provide a certain kind of environment for me to do a certain kind of practice. And yet I wasn't able to do the kind of practice that I wanted to do. I wasn't able to get quite as still as I wanted to in my own room. I had to work more with equanimity and my own tendency to be reactive and not liking what was going on and wanting it to be different and watching my own uh, preferences around what I, how I wanted my meditation to be. And it was very interesting because it, it, it just really showed me that no matter where we go, you know, no matter how much we try and how much we expect, that certain environments are going to give us certain conditions that are going to be supportive of certain things, it's not necessarily the case. 
And that was such a it was such a contrast to have I really did believe that it was quieter at my house in California than it was at this retreat center. And it went on. It was the whole middle about ten days of the four weeks that I was there for the, the, the about the middle um, two weeks period. So the first week I had adjusting, then the two weeks of a lot of noise, and the last week kind of getting more quiet again, because I think they figured out whatever that was. I mean, it's not supposed to be like that, but they finally figured out, so it got quieter again. But it was very, very good practice, very good practice, because anywhere that I had uh, uh, the holding, wanting to hold on to my demands, my expectations of how I wanted to be, was just going to cause me more dukkha, more problems. So it was a, a practice of letting go. But it was also a practice of letting go of thinking that I shouldn't be agitated. Because there's that side too, you know, that of course, if, you know, doing a certain kind of practice is going to bring about a certain kind of agitation when the conditions are such. And so there was a certain way that, you know, I also allowed for the feeling to move through and trying to have, trying to figure out some way to make this really work for my practice. So there, so I noticed that I wasn't in conflict as much as I had been in the past with my own reaction to those, to the loud noises that were happening in the center. So it was very good to see that because uh, 15 years ago, when I was doing long-term intensive practice at the Insight Meditation Society, I remember one three-month retreat where I was just filled with, with aversion and agitation and restlessness. And it wasn't necessarily because the conditions there at the center were that problematic. It was clearly my own mind. I was in reactivity to things. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. I remember that there were a number of my friends sitting on that retreat as well, the three-month retreat, and how I would just get so angry at them that they were, you know, trying to be such good meditators. You know, they're walking so slow and they, you know, look so peaceful and I said, they're not that peaceful. <laughs> And I noticed the tendency to get really angry at them because I thought they were being so arrogant and conceited in their practice. You know. I mean, I was making it all up, you know, and yet because at that time I didn't have enough awareness or insight into my own mind, I just got caught in all this aversion and reactivity. And then I didn't even, you know, at that time I didn't even see how then there was judgment and aversion towards the aversion that I was feeling. I started turning the uh, hatred towards myself that I was feeling the way that I was feeling, that I would judge my friends and get reactive to the food and not like the way things were, and then turn that hate back to myself. And then it would get even stronger and more compounded to seeing how the layers can build up there. So in that regard, it's really good to see, you know, at least that wasn't happening now. You know, there was really quite a lot of space to let the, the, the expression of the dislike, uh, the expression of the uh, disappointment, 
and the uh, loss of the opportunity that I had built up in my mind for this particular kind of practice. It was all right, you know, I had, I had space, I could let that move through this time. It wasn't a piling on aversion on top of the aversion on top of the aversion that I was so used to in the early years of my practice. So we can't really manipulate the conditions in our life as much as we'd like to, no matter where we are, where we're going. And it seems that what we're really being asked to do is to meet our experience right where we are. Whatever is occurring, whatever the conditions are bringing up, because otherwise we get into this struggle, we get into this conflict of trying to change things to our liking, and it doesn't work. And so again and again, the practice, the teachings say, just be here. Just be here. And what that means is sometimes being here is going to mean we're here with all these difficult feelings and emotions running through. Sometimes what's here is not going to be very uh, 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 easy or it's not going to be very pleasant but then we're asked to just meet that experience just right here. And I wonder if that isn't pointing us towards the letting go, towards the letting go, letting go of those demands of the I, what the I want, what the self wants. We say, okay, let me see if I can just be here with this, just meet it. And I really sense that that way that we can bring our mindfulness to the experience and just touch it like a caress. Caressing the feelings, caressing the body, caressing the mind, caressing the uh, sights and the sounds and the taste. That tender touch meeting of experience moment after moment after moment. It seems that that's what begins to be possible for us so that we're not in this fight, we're not in this conflict that we create in our own minds. So we begin to settle and there's the ability to be here more fully, more completely with ourselves in any situation that we're in. So we start where we are. We just start where we are. And we ask ourselves, can I open to this? Can I allow this right now? And at the Forest Refuge, this is what I, I had to practice with for myself, is can I open to this? Can I open to this chaos? It was really like chaos lots of the time in the conditions of the, of the space. Can I open to it? Can I allow it? Can I be with it as it is? These teachings really are emphasizing letting go. Letting go. This is even called the path of renunciation. the, The path of letting go. And yet, of course, we find that we have a preference for the way it feels when we let go. You know, we like the feeling of 
when something seems to drop away and there's a, more of a sense of openness and acceptance and the ability to meet our experience in that way. Some people were reporting this as a, a result of our inquiry we did today um, when there was the ability to let go the wonderful feeling that arose or, or for some people it was kind of euphoric of a, of a feeling of opening and letting go that occurred. And yet there were some people who didn't have that, who didn't have that kind of feeling. And in fact, they reported that they noticed that it, it wasn't so easy to let go, even though there was a pointing through the questioning that we were doing, how, how, uh, what's it like when you're not holding on, when you let go? And, and yet that, that didn't happen. There was still the feeling of some holding and some tightness and some tension. And then the, the sense of, but I, I wanted it to let go. You know, I, my, I, it, I wished it could have, I wished I could have let go. You know, that, that preference for that experience. And yet the letting go in a way might be just the allowing of the experience as it is. That nothing else has to happen. And it's so interesting how the mind, which is the ego, says this isn't enough. It has to be more than this. This experience right now isn't good enough. And some way it reflects back on me and my expectations about myself and what I'm supposed to, who I'm supposed to be and, and what's supposed to happen. It's not good enough. And that ego, which sometimes we call the spiritual ego, comes in and says, what's wrong with you? You've been doing this practice, you know, it was so easy, why don't you just let go? You're really stupid. You know? All you have to do is just relax. You know, not, don't hold on to that thought, don't hold on to that story, don't hold on to that anger, just let it go. Does it help? <laughs> I think we're kind of catching on now that even though that, that spiritual ego has this idea that we're supposed to be doing that, it doesn't work. That's not the way letting go seems to happen. We want to let go. You know, there's the wanting, the heart's wanting, the heart's longing for that feeling that we know is possible, but we can't. The particular conditions, the particular pattern that's occurring right there is not set up for that particular kind of experience of letting go to happen. So then, is it possible then just to meet it? Just to meet it. Meet the experience as it is. I think that there's really a basic misunderstanding a lot of the time about what it means to let go and what these teachings are pointing to when we talk about letting go. Because the truth is, I'm not sure we can let go. And I think sometimes the teachings, the way that they're put out, you know, you just need to let go or let go of your let go of the anger or let go of the hatred, let go of the tension. I think sometimes it implies that if we understood that, we could just let go. But I don't think we can let go. 
Letting go is actually a byproduct of understanding. Letting go is a byproduct of wisdom. Letting go is a byproduct of really seeing and feeling and experiencing the pain of holding on. And the thing is, we don't know how we're holding on. That's not necessarily available to us because there's still a a formation of a sense of ourself. That ego self that has all kinds of ideas about what needs to happen and that is often buried in our unconscious or our subconscious and is not available to us, those patterns and those strategies and those old hurts and those old wounds and those unhealed parts of ourselves. They're not so available. And so until we start to have some clarity, until we have some understanding about what is actually going on in that construction, that structure of ourself that gives rise to a sense of ourself, we can't let go. But the letting go happens with the understanding. Sometimes we use the metaphor, the Buddha, I, Buddha has used the metaphor of, you know, uh, attachment or, or holding on is like we're holding on to a burning coal. And we don't know that we have a burning coal in our hand and it's burning us, but we don't know. And just at some point, it really starts to burn and it really starts to get hot and we say, oh my God, a burning coal, and we drop it. You know, it's like we have to, we have to feel it. We have to have some intimation of the pain, of the burning, before we let go. Otherwise, it doesn't seem to make any sense to let go. Why would we let go? What are we going to let go of? We don't even know what to let go of. And so the practices and meditation helps us start to become more sensitive to those places where we feel the unsatisfactory nature, we feel the pain, we feel the suffering, we start to have some sense of the blockages and the obscurations, and we say, oh, look at that. I don't need to hold on to that anymore. And when we're ready, we let go. It drops away. It's not even that I let go. It drops away on its own because we don't need it anymore. That particular structure, mental structure, is not serving us anymore. We see it. It's old. It's something from the past. It's something from my early childhood. Or it's something that happened, you know, uh, ten years ago. I don't need it anymore. I've moved on. And sometimes it takes the mind some time to catch up with the heart, with the soul. It lags behind. Our, our mind may have ideas that are very old about who we are and what we need to do, and it takes some time to catch up. To, to be congruent again, have our mind congruent with the rest of us the part that is mature, the part that has grown, the part that is strong, that can function quite well in our life. And it's like we have to sometimes remind our minds that say, you know, you're acting like a stupid child. And we say, wait a minute, I'm not really. (laughs) I'm actually doing quite fine. 
And it's like finding that place in ourselves that is, that has matured, that has caught up. And then we can start to let go of some of those old ideas. These habit patterns of our ego or our self are so deeply conditioned. And these patterns get reinforced over time by our, the repetition of these habits and patterns. And until we start to really see the habits that we're engaged in, and we see them clearly, we're not going to be able to stop reinforcing them. And it's only through the lack of the reinforcement that they start to lose their power and they lose their strength. But we have to see what they're doing. If we just say to ourselves, I should let go, or I should have let go, or why haven't I let go, then in a way, we're really asking too much of ourselves. We're asking too much of ourselves. And in fact, we're asking, we're putting too much responsibility on that sense of self. Because the self can't really do it. The self is what's caught up in all the old ideas and the old patterns and the old, uh, uh, the, the forces of, of greed, hatred, and delusion that are running through the mind. It's something we have to call on something else. We have to call on a a deeper wisdom in our being that can begin to see things more clearly. When I say, I need to let go, it's too harsh because we find, well, I can't let go. And then we can get caught up in this kind of beating ourselves up and judging ourselves and getting down on ourselves and creating so much more conflict for ourselves. And in that, we're not paying respect. We're not really paying respect to what is true. We're not honoring the place we are in our process that may not be clear to us. And yet, as I was talking last night about, all things have their own nature. All things have their own nature, even our own process, our life process and how it unfolds. It has its own nature. And through the meditation, as we get more quiet and more still, there's a way we can become sensitive to that process and begin to pay respect and honor ourselves right where we are, without the pressure, without the demands, without the pushing, without the expectation. And in a way, that's the, that's the letting go. It's the, the wisdom that comes through seeing that the other doesn't work. The other is too harsh. It's too imposing. And it only creates more co- complication, more constriction, more tension in the heart, in the being. And so in a way, we don't have any choice but to begin to wake up, in a way, to what it is that we're doing to ourselves that are, that, that's putting that pressure and that expectation, that demand on ourselves, that is making things more difficult. And perhaps you've had the experience where you've been able to step back out of the way just a little bit 
and been able to be there more wholly for your experience, even when it's difficult, even when there's pain running through, emotional pain of something that's happened in the past or something that's happening in relationship to a family member or a situation, and you can just kind of open and be there in a real sensitive and respectful way. And in there, the the conditions don't have to change so much. What's changed is the inner attitude, is the inner response to the situation. There's more possibility to allow, to be with what's happening there in that moment. And there's something that feels, even though the situation may be difficult, there's a sweetness that starts to come a sweetness, kind of a, almost something somewhat even pleasurable, dare I say pleasurable, because sometimes these situations are so painful and so difficult, but yet in that openness and in that meeting with such deep respect, something becomes very, I think sweet is the best word, and sometimes we say bittersweet, because there certainly is the painful side, but there's also the sweet side that cannot be denied because there's the, the, the beauty of the magic, as Sokni Rinpoche was talking about. The beauty of the magic, of being right there in the immediacy, in the freshness of what's happening. So sometimes as a a way to get closer to understanding letting go and what it means to let go, we can change the wording and we can change the wording to let it be. Rather than saying, I need to let it go, because I don't think that works, I think it's more helpful to say, let it be. Because when I can let something be, I'm getting closer to that allowing. I'm getting closer to that openness and that acceptance. And I think that acceptance is the very first step that has to happen. Otherwise, we're in this struggle, we're in this conflict that is just reinforcing the difficult patterns of mind and heart, and we're almost like treading water, like we're not really getting anywhere. We're just finding ourselves in this, in this struggle and sometimes not knowing how we're in it or why we're in it or what we're doing and why it's not ending. So if I say to myself, let it be, let it be, there's something that, even as I say it now and maybe as you hear it, you know, there's something that just can relax. Now, maybe it's the tension around the belly or the solar plexus or the constriction around the heart or the shoulders or the tightness in the throat or the tightness around the forehead. It's like, ah, it's like an out-breath. Let it be. Let it be. And in that, we start to experience more directly, maybe at an energetic level, of that letting go, of that dropping without the, the, the demand of 
I need to let it go. Why can't I let it go? It's like, let it be. And this allows us to begin to stop the fight and we can settle a little bit more. And this allows for the possibility of some maybe clear, more clarity to begin to shed some clear, clear seeing on the situation. Because when we're, we're caught up and confused and wanting it to be like this or like that, it's like we can't see so clearly. So there's the possibility of the clear seeing happening and then maybe we can apply the wisdom of our insight on the situation and begin to make some choices about what's happening in a way that maybe we wouldn't have before because we were caught up in, in this chaotic kind of frenzy before. There's probably a great deal of wisdom there. I think that there is immense amount of wisdom there for you, for each one of you. And yet we have to find a way to access that. So as we quiet down, as we settle a bit, have, have our tools and resources to know how to do that, perhaps maybe through the mantra of let it be, let it be, there's the possibility for that wisdom to come forth, for that wisdom to express itself, and not just express itself through a feeling or an experience, but express itself through action, taking action that's going to make a difference for ourselves and the people in our lives and in our life around us. And as we make different choices, then those habits of mind that seem so solid and seem so fixed and so troublesome start to lose their power because we're doing things differently. But we're doing things differently out of wisdom, out of clarity, out of a different place in our being than our mind, which is often this ego mind that is going round and round and round trying to figure things out, trying to understand things, and just getting caught in the same old patterns again and again and again. It seems we have to drop down. We have to drop. We have to find some way out of that loop, those loops, those mind loops. And drop. Drop down, drop down. And then let something else reveal the answers to us. Because they will be revealed to us. That's what all the ancient teachings tell us. That all the answers are here. Everything we need to know is right here. And the meditations and all the traditions point to that inner stillness, that inner quiet, where we can begin to access that deep wisdom and guidance that is there in each one of us. So letting it be, letting it be, 
But then, you know, we can't even take that one up absolutely. Because even as we start to practice letting it be, letting it be, letting it be, what can happen is then our practice, if we, ta- if we take that one to an extreme view, and that's the answer, let it be, let it be, acceptance, then we can also get caught there as well. And that means that our practice can start to become too passive. We're just letting it be, letting it be, letting it be. And people say, well, then doesn't this practice get, then what, how can you make a difference in this world? How can I make a difference in my life? I mean, can I choose anything? Can I, how do I, how do I act? You know, I'm just letting it be, letting it be, letting it be. And so even that one has a limitation because sometimes we have to not let it be. <laughs> like when the forces of greed, hatred, and delusion are moving through the mind. Oh, let it be, let it be, let it be. You know, just let greed run havoc in my life. Just let hatred run havoc in my life. No, it's not that kind of letting be. Or the superego judge, you know, the critical negative judge in my mind who's just beating on me and giving me a hard time. Oh, let it be, let it be, let it be. That's not what that part of the practice is about. Letting be is really only the first step. Letting be is what keeps the, all the other attacks happening. So we're not getting in more conflict and more aversion and more anger and more demands and more expectations. Letting it be, even if it is greed, hate, and delusion, it's still the first step. Let it be so that then I can have some clarity to know how to respond to this, how to act on this, so that I'm not just letting it be. And it's there that the transformation truly happens. Knowing really when to let it be and not act, and when the action is just going to cause more difficulty, and when to let it be as a first step in the acceptance so that I can have some clarity to know how to act and make a change in my life and not let things be. So we, again, we have to look at the bigger picture. We can't take anything, it's like we can't take anything up on its own. We have to keep looking deeply into the things so we really understand, so we don't get stuck in these practices. For me, in my my conditioned life, I've had a lot of difficulty with depression and falling into states of kind of uh, inactivity and depression and um, not being able to move in my life in the way I've really wanted to, getting stuck in situations or patterns that have been very unpleasant and sometimes destructive. And this teaching about not letting it be <laughs> has been such a helpful teaching for me in working with the, the kind of depression that can move in the mind. Because for a long time, when this kind of mood, kind of sense of dropping down in these kind of uh, difficult, dark places in my own psyche would start to descend on me, I would say, 
just let it be. Just let it be. And as I let it be, I just kept dropping. <laughs> it became more dark and I'd become more inactive and more dif- it'd become more difficult. I'd let it be. And I would just get stuck in the inactivity until, and I would then would have to wait it out until some energetic shift happened in myself and then there's some energy to pull me back out. But I had no energy to pull myself back out. I would just be stuck in these holes of depression. And then it was, it was I, heard, I heard the teaching or some aspects of these teachings say, no, don't let it be. Really pay attention to how that, when, you, when I first start to get a sense that that mood is descending through the mindfulness, through the attention, just to start to have a sense of that and, and be able to feel both the energetic effect on my body when my body started to constrict or when the mood started to drop. And right then, it was, I, was in, I was asked to do something active. Do something. No, not just let it be. Do something. Go for a walk, call a friend, uh, uh, do some exercise, um, uh, read a book, uh, do something that is going to completely distract me from the mood that I'm starting to move into. Like it is, it's like the, the antidote that we use to sleepiness here. It's like bring about some energy. And in the same way, as that mood starts to even show itself, the, the uh, antidote to that is move away from it. Don't let it be. Don't even go into it. Unless there is a certain strength and a clarity and a wisdom that can really hold that dropping so that the investigation can actually happen at, at those different levels. But if that isn't in place, then it's, it's very dangerous because there's a point at which the mind just drops. And it's almost like dropping into a hole and then there's no way out because there's no more strength, there's no more awareness, there's no more real clarity about how to pull back out. And this can be the same for certain um, chronic fatigue or physical difficulties. Um, we, the, the mindfulness is so important there to notice just when that uh, 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 lack of strength, either mental or physical, is starting to happen, and then how to pull out when there's still some strength, strength of mind, strength of body, not after the drop happens, not after the, uh, all, the, all the energy is drained out of the system, then what are we going to draw on? There's nothing we can do. All we can do is collapse, fall back, and then wait until the body and the mind is somewhat rested and then pull ourselves back out again. So I've learned it's so important to watch so carefully those movements, those, those um, energetic forces through the mind as they move and, and, and be able to track them and notice, ah, there it is, it's coming, the mood is coming, the, the depression is coming, that Whatever influence or the condition that's present that's starting to operate is coming. And then to activate in some way, whatever that way may be, and there may be many, many different ways. So, so I say this because it's so important to not get 
identified with a teaching that even says, let it be. Because even let it be can go way too far. And sometimes the Buddhist teachings, these, these teachings, it's, it's like just to be so... Uh, sometimes I think people think it's just such a passive, disengaged kind of practice where life just kind of flows by. Life just happens. And, you know, there are wars and conflicts and you know, people dying and poverty. And, oh, let it be. Let it be. It's such a, such a misunderstanding of where these teachings are pointing to. So we explore this. We explore all this. What does it mean to let go? What does it mean to let be? And as we explore this, and we begin to have deeper understanding of ourselves and the way the psyche works and the way who we are and how, how things move, Sokni Rinpoche said a lovely phrase. He said, you cease to be afraid of yourself. You cease to be afraid of yourself. In fact, he even gave it as kind of an instruction. He said, don't be afraid of yourself. Because we start to understand what we are really afraid of. And what we are afraid of is ourself. And what's moving through there and what is configuring this sense of who we take ourselves to be. It's not that there's nothing there. What it allows for is the possibility for who we really are to begin to express itself. Who we really are without the, those blockages of our past, without the strong forces of the greed and the hatred and the illusion moving through the mind, but truly an expression of our true nature, of our true self. And that true self is expressed with goodness. It's expressed with beauty. It's expressed with love and compassion and sensitivity. It's expressed with connection and energy and engagement. It's not that there's nothing. There's everything. This is a quote from Nisargadat Maharaj, one of the really wonderful sages from India in this last century. Wisdom tells me I am nothing. Love tells me I am everything. Between the two, my life flows. So wisdom tells me I am nothing because we can't find ourselves anywhere. We can't say, yeah, that's me, that's me, you know. Just even like today, we see how many changes were there through this day. Who, who, which one were you? To say wisdom tells you that you are nothing. Nothing means nothing in particular. Not nothing. Nothing in particular. But love tells me I am everything. And when we feel the love in our being, we feel we are the whole universe. We are as, our consciousness, our being is as big as the whole universe. Everything. I can touch everything. 
Nothing is separate from me. And between the two, my life flows. This is the true letting go. Let's sit for a couple of minutes together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.